We move outside our comfort zone and seek new experiences to grow. We find adventure in the epic and the everyday. We travel to broaden our horizons and engage with nature. We are most at home in remote landscapes and faraway places, but never far from our community of passionate dreamers and wanderers. We are Chaconians. Join the Chacosphere at Chacos.com. Where will your Chacos go? This is The Shorts, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a duct tape and beer production. With support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Patagonia. I was crouched in the trunk of a snow-entombed 1994 Subaru Legacy station wagon with over 300,000 miles, parked outside a closed cafe in a blizzard in Iceland when I applied for the climbing permit. I pulled the sputtering rental car onto the cafe's sidewalk for a better internet connection. In a matter of days, skiing Denali had gone from an idea to a $300 deposit and a plane ticket. After a spring of ski mountaineering trips, I flew into Salt Lake City for a two-week layover to prepare for my trip to Alaska. And during those two weeks in Salt Lake, my attention to detail really kicked in alongside my anticipation. There was very little discussion happening among our team. Apparently, it was understood that each of us knew what we needed to bring. I, for one, did not. I packed, unpacked, checked, and repacked my gear. I read every online gear checklist I could find, packed my warmest clothes, and measured the length of my prussics. Does my harness fit over my soft shells? What about my down pants? I wanted to be strong enough smart enough, and prepared enough to help the team, not hinder it. I'd learned that at 20,320 feet, Denali causes some people's feet to swell. For that reason, and for the sake of warmth, many people recommend boots a size larger than normal. I hustled in order to find a pair of my lightweight ski touring boots in the next larger shell size, in addition to a pair of new liners for those boots. For ten days, I stared at these two pair of nearly identical boots. I had to choose which boots would be right for me. My regular, comfortably sized boots with broken-in liners, or a new pair I'd never worn before with brand new liners and the assurance of returning with ten toes. Six hours before I flew to Alaska, I made up my mind. I'd take the boots I was used to. The boots I'd never been cold in, the boots I'd used for months, the boots I loved. The boots I didn't need to readjust my bindings to use. I'd hoped that my insulated neoprene overboots would keep me warm if needed. While I didn't want cold toes to stop me from reaching the summit, I didn't want blisters or discomfort stopping me far earlier. The guidebook I flipped through on my flight to Alaska had a foreword written by Conrad Inker, with whom I'd be climbing. 
someone in the Anchorage airport was wearing a Jones snowboards shirt, the owner of which, Jeremy Jones, I'd be climbing with. In Anchorage, I met New York Times bestselling author John Krakauer, world champion snowboarder Ralph Backstrom, and the rest of my unfairly talented team. I did not fit in. These people were too experienced, too fit, and too good. But I'd be climbing with them, and I hoped to ski from the summit with them. They'd invited me on this trip and must have known something about me that I didn't. Two days later, I was flying onto the glacier with some of the most talented athletes in the world. Nearly three hours after the plane flew away and left us alone on the sunny Kahiltna Glacier, each member of our 14-person team had finally assembled their gear, lashed it to a kiddie sled, and used various webbing, beaners, and cord to rig a towing system. Everyone's was different, but the premise was the same. We were going to walk over 15 miles and 7,000 vertical feet just to reach the base of Denali's climbing routes and these sleds were going to hold everything that didn't fit in our backpacks. Slowly, team members were starting to ski down Heartbreak Hill, named for its effect on morale after teams have walked downhill through the night after weeks on the glacier, only to find a few hundred feet of uphill slogging separating them from base camp, the landing strip, and their ride home. But for us, just beginning our trip, Heartbreak Hill represented a positive start to our journey. Downhill skiing to test our sled's rigging systems and to remind us how to ski, after what had been months off snow for most of the team. As the first person started down Heartbreak Hill, his kiddie sled caught him between his legs and tossed him off balance and eventually onto his back. We laughed. The next two skiers experienced similar issues of their own. Cord twisting, sleds turning upside down, and backpacks flipping over helmets as talented riders flew over their tips unable to right themselves. I placed my lightweight skis on the snow next to me, careful not to bend over too far and throw myself off balance from the weight of my backpack. Another team member skied past me, adding to the contingent at the bottom of the hill. I stepped my right toe, click, into my touring binding, swinging the ski around by the toe attachment purely out of habit before stepping into my heel. Click. I locked my boot into my right ski as I had thousands of times before. Another team member skied past me. Shifting my weight onto that ski, I picked my left foot up and placed my toe into that binding. Click. I lifted my leg and moved it back and forth, seating the binding's pins into my toes receiving recesses. I quickly weighted my left leg, where 150 pounds of me and 75 pounds of backpack should have pushed my boot's heel into the binding's heel piece. But that didn't happen. Another team member skied past me. I turned around and looked back, but my backpack and the toe lines dragging from it prevented me from seeing my heel. I struggled to remove my pack and set it down without twisting the toe lines. I picked my heel up, toes still attached to my ski, and stepped down again. My heel landed on top of the heel piece, not on the pins that stuck out slightly in front of it, where it should have landed. Another team member skied past me. Wait, what? 
I didn't know what to think, so I removed both of my skis and switched them in my hands. I stepped into my right ski, toe first, click, pick up and wiggle, then heel, click, I was in. I dropped the new left ski next to my left foot, click, went the toe pins. Another team member skied past me. I stepped down with my heel. It didn't land on the pins, but behind them on the heel piece. Again. What? Both skis had fit on my right boot without a problem. Neither ski fit on my left boot. That meant that my skis were both okay, bindings were both okay, right boot was sized for those bindings, and that my left boot... Oh, no. No, no. No, 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 no. My breath fell away from my chest. Oh. My. God. I looked at my feet. Another team member skied past me. I pulled the cuffs of my pants up to get a better look at my boots. My right boot? Scratched, scuffed, rubber sole lugs worn down, obviously used. My left boot? Brand. New. I wrenched my body around quickly to look at the back of my ski boots, the boots that were supposed to help me climb to the top of the tallest mountain in North America and then safely descend a steep route on skis. The boots that I'd stared at for two weeks in Salt Lake, the boots that I'd finally decided to put into my luggage and bring all the way to Alaska, orphaning the new pair, the boots that absolutely, positively had to be worn all day, every day for the next three weeks. The boots that I'd accidentally mismatched while packing. Another team member skied past me. Three team members remained atop the hill with me, completely ignorant of my massive problem. I ripped my left ski off and brought the binding to eye level. I felt as though I had to remind myself to take breaths. Was I going to have to go home? Was I going to have to call the plane that had left us here only a few hours ago and pay $5,000 for it to come back, pick me up, and take me back to Talkeetna? No, I couldn't afford that. I was broke. I'd have to sit in base camp for three weeks until my team was done climbing and then fly out with them. Did someone in Talkeetna maybe have an extra pair of the proper size boots? No, even if they did, I couldn't risk using an unfamiliar pair of boots for three weeks at altitude. If I caught a flight back to Talkeetna, could I hitchhike the three hours back to Anchorage, wait until REI opened, convince the employee to sell me only one left boot, buy it at a price I could afford, and somehow get on the glacier without paying for another flight? Even if I could, how would I ever catch up with my team? Focus. My lightweight binding had minor size adjustments, but typically not enough for an entire different shell size. I dug into the lid of my backpack and found my little multi-tool. I didn't have the right bit, but I had one that was five sizes too small. I furiously started spinning the screw, or should I say, stripping the screw. When half of the adjustment space was eliminated, I realized that I was making the binding smaller. Wrong way, reverse spinning, strip screw more, make binding bigger. Another team member 
skied past me. Only one person remained with me. I still wasn't breathing right. Even if this worked, I couldn't use an ill-fitting boot for this trip, right? The liner was an entire size smaller than the shell. I was going to be skiing the biggest mountain of my life with some of the most notable climbers in the world. What am I doing? What am I going to do? I wanted to cry. With each three full twists of the tool, the screw only twisted once. The lightweight metal was slowly stripping to shreds. I couldn't seem to calm down and do it more carefully. I dropped my glove in the snow. My glacier glasses were fogging from exertion, but nothing mattered. The binding was stretching, but there's no way it was stretching enough. Quickly, the tool was twisting five times for every one screw rotation, and then six, then seven. The screw head was almost completely rounded. A person looking at it for the first time wouldn't have been able to tell what kind of bit it required. I pushed as hard as I could and turned it once more. The binding maxed out. Even if there had been more track for the binding to move on to, the screw was so ruined that I wouldn't have been able to get it there. Without thinking, I threw the ski back next to my left, bigger, newer, dumber boot. I seated the pin into the boot's toe box, click, and lifted the ski habitually, wiggling it back and forth. Then I set it down, pushed down on my heel, and click. I picked my foot up, and the entire ski came with it, attached at both the toes and the heel. The pins were in my heel. My ski was attached to my boot. It fit perfectly. Ignoring the fact that 10 minutes ago, I was convinced there was no way I could complete this expedition with two different sized boots. All I could think about now was catching up. I hoisted my backpack onto my shoulders, strapped up, put my sled in the track that had developed from my other 12 team members, and formed a giant pizza wedge with my skis. See, I had been so preoccupied that I hadn't watched the team members before me, so I had gained no insight into techniques. I struggled and eventually chose to simply sit on my sled's duffel bag, straddling it, one ski on each side, as I rode it downhill. I lost all doubt. I knew that I wouldn't turn around. I wouldn't need to charter a private helicopter. I wouldn't... I wouldn't tell anyone. Who was I supposed to tell? John Krakauer? Oh, um, hey there, Mr. Krakauer. I'm Brody. I'll be sleeping in the tent next to you for the next few weeks. Uh, just wanted to let you know that my boots are different sizes. Or, hi, Conrad Anchor. Sorry to keep you waiting. Ha ha ha. Oh, boy. Mismatched boots. Other ones in Salt Lake. Who would have guessed? <laughs> I felt so stupid and so embarrassed. I could barely contain both at the same time. Everyone was relaxed, smiling, if not cold after waiting for as much as 45 minutes. They were laughing, ready to get moving. It was 1am, and they had no idea the ordeal I had just gone through. 
As people started skinning away from me, this time across a relatively flat glacier roped together, I went over to my dear friend Robin and whispered the situation to him. I sounded as serious as I ever had. I still couldn't pull my emotions together. I couldn't laugh about it. I didn't know if this was going to work. Of course, Robin didn't have much to say. There wasn't much to be said. But seven days later, I skied from the summit of Denali. I chose to ignore which foot had which boot. I knew that the ski with a certain sticker had to go on my right foot, and that's all I needed to know. And at 20,000 feet, even that was a little difficult for me to remember. And to this day, Robin is the only person that knows I spent three weeks climbing and skiing various routes on Denali with my role models and two completely different sized ski boots. My name is Brody11.com and this is my short. You can find more of Brody Levin's writing at brodylevin.com or check out his Instagram feed at Brody Levin for year-round ski stoke. Music today by our friend Ken Christensen and also Dave Emini, Darren Locke, and Block Party, courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. You can find links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Support for the diaries comes from Chaco. Chaco is celebrating their 25th year. Enter their heritage and photo contest at chaco.com for a chance to win $150 in Chaco cash each week. The diaries would not be possible without the good people at Patagonia. Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. And from Kuat Racks, the little company that believed it could make a better bike rack with you, its fellow riders, in mind. Check them out at kuatracks.com. You also help make the diaries through your donations. We appreciate it so much. This episode of The Diaries was produced by Becca Cahal and Jen Alchel. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>